Well, I would like to speak to you again on the inexhaustible theme of the beauty of God. In one way or another, anything that we say from the scriptures about God fits into the subject of the beauty of God because the beauty of God has to do with the harmony and proportionality of his character and anything that we see in the scriptures about God helps us to see how that all fits together, how the truths that are presented to us in the scriptures fit together. If we leave out one section, we don't see the the true symmetry. That's why it's important to read the Bible all the way through. That's why it's important to, to uh, teach from all sections of the Scriptures. But, again, tonight, just the overall theme of the beauty of God. So let's read the Scripture that uh, we read before in Psalm 27. And verse 4, David says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. And then in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then one additional section for this evening, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And maybe just one more partial part of a verse here. Chapter 22, verse 4. And they shall see his face. Well, last time we dealt with the superlative beauty of Christ. And we said he is the restorer of God's beauty in a world that is turned away and brought forth ugliness in the midst of a beautiful world that God made. Now, I'm not going to repeat what I said about the beauty of Christ except to remind you that in Him all the diverse virtues and graces 
known to man were represented in perfect harmony and perfect proportionality. It was not only that he possessed every conceivable virtue, but that he had them in just the right proportion to one another. And I did want to, because this is kind of a, a uh, stepping stone into what we say about beauty, I did want to remind you also that we define beauty as dealing with harmony, symmetry, order, proportionality, how things fit together, and unity and diversity, like we have revealed to us in the triune God himself, who is the source and standard of all beauty. And what we did was examine very briefly three manifestations of God's beauty. The beauty of his nature, that is the triune, the eternal triune nature of God. The beauty of nature, what he's created, the beauty all around us, even though it's corrupted by sin, there's still much that remains of that beauty. And then the beauty of his son, the superlative beauty of Christ, who is the restorer of God's beauty that has been lost because of sin. Now what we did not do last time was deal at least very much with the ultimate restoration of God's beauty in his creation. And especially his eternal purpose to communicate his triune beauty to his people. His eternal purpose to communicate his triune beauty to and in his people. Now this is something that Jonathan Edwards spoke on or wrote on quite a bit. And he put it this way, although this is just a paraphrase. All that God is internally, his beauty, his holiness, his excellency, he desires to replicate, reproduce, and communicate externally in the created order that his glory may shine forth and grow increasingly throughout the universe. So what he is internally, that internal triune beauty that he has from eternity, he desires to reproduce and communicate in his creation, especially in his people. To say that Christ is the restorer of lost beauty is actually very inadequate because we will gain far more than Adam lost when he sinned. Far more than he lost. I believe that saved sinners in the age to come will have a far deeper and fuller communion with God than Adam and Eve had before they fell. This is true partly because they knew nothing of the beauty of God's salvation in Christ. God does not just restore the beauty of the creator-creature relationship that existed before the fall. He raises that relationship to the level 
that he has, that Christ has with the Father. Now that, that's incredible. That he will bring us into such a relationship with himself that it can be compared and likened to the relationship that Christ has with the Father. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that, that by the grace of God, the sheer grace of God in Christ, we become partakers of the divine nature. That's, a, that's in the scriptures. We become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean we become God, but in the age to come, everything about us will be in perfect harmony with God and his beauty. And in fact, the beauty of the Lord will be upon us. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared. It has, appe- not, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We are the children of God, but it hasn't appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, when Christ comes again at the consummation of all things, the end of the age, when he appears, we will be like him. Because, and this is an amazing thing, we'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. This seeing of him as he is in his splendor, his majesty, his beauty has been called by some the beatific vision. Have you ever heard of that little phrase, the beatific vision? Well, there's a lot of things taught under that heading and some of them get... Uh, pretty speculative. But what it's talking about is the blessedness of seeing God as he is. You see, at this present stage, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. That's what we're talking about. Face to face. We read it in the book of Revelation. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully just as also we have been fully known. We shall see him as he is, and that seeing will change us. This is what the term glorification is talking about. When we see him, we'll be changed will be glorified, made like him. will be made like him in terms of having a new body, like his resurrected body. We'll be like him because we'll be totally and completely delivered from all sin. Sin within and sin without. No sin in us, no sin around us. And now words get to be pretty weak things when you're trying to talk about this, but nevertheless, God's explained these things to us in words so that we don't get off into some totally mystical 
subjective type of thing here. He's given us some, some guidelines, some criteria in the scriptures. But when we are glorified, when we see Christ and are changed, everything's going to change. And everywhere you look, you'll only see beauty. Everything will be beautiful. We have no idea what that's like. We can't really even comprehend it. All will be in perfect harmony and proportion and balance. I think that that's the primary intent of the description given, given to us of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21. You read down through that, and there's uh, a lot of description of precious stones and jewels and pearls and golden streets and even the measurements of the city. And let me just read that part to you. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length, its width, and height are equal. Now, you can take that literally if you want to, but I think what God's saying is this place is beautiful. It's proportional. It's symmetrical. Everything's in harmony. Everything's beautiful in this city. This city whose builder and maker is God is laid out perfectly. That's what the intent, I think the primary intent of that section is. Not that we have these pearly gates in our mind. It's the beauty. He's saying this place is beautiful beyond description. So he uses some beautiful things on earth to try to tell us what heaven's like. All this is to impress upon us the beauty of what God has for us. In other words, it's beautiful beyond our wildest dreams. But more than these beautiful surroundings, there will be beauty in the people that are there, the beauty of the saints. And that includes you if you're a Christian here tonight. You will be beautiful beyond your wildest imagination in your glorified state. And it won't just be you, but everybody you see there will be like that. There will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation living together in perfect harmony. You know what that is? That's unity in diversity. Diverse people, diverse backgrounds, diverse skin colors, diverse languages, diver, diverse, all kinds of diversity, but there's going to be total unity amongst those people. Unity in diversity, growing ever more loving. Again, I want to consider some thoughts from Jonathan Edwards. This was something I hadn't thought of before. There is an initial glorification which will be instantaneous. In other words, we'll be changed in the twinkling of, the, of an eye. When we see him, we're changed. That's the instantaneous glorification. 
but glorification will also be ongoing and ever-expansive as we continually see more of God's infinite beauty. We will love Him more, and the more we love Him, the more Christ-like we'll become. So you're being glorified more and more as you see more of the beauty of God because that changes you. In other words, His infinite beauty brings about our continual beautification. One man put it this way, the more we like God, the more like God we become. And that continues throughout eternity. We shall have ever-increasing discoveries of His beauty, and by these we shall ever be increased in our own beauty. Ever-increasing discoveries of His beauty. And by, those, by that, we will be increased in our own beauty, but we'll know it's all because of Him. It's not, we're not going to be standing around looking at how beautiful we are. The point I'm trying to make is that there will be ever-increasing degrees of blessedness as we see more of the beauty of God throughout eternity, and there's always more to see. Edwards believed that all our faculties of mind and body will be expanded so that we might enjoy God more and more. Our senses will be heightened beyond anything we can imagine here on earth. He said there'd be new harmonies and proportions that will exist, which will affect an exceeding great joy in God's people. He said there shall be no string out of tune to cause any jar in the harmony of, the, of that world. No you know, you tune a guitar and you get it in tune, but is it perfect? There won't be one little nothing out of tune. Nothing out of harmony. Nothing out of balance. With our mind totally clear and our senses expanded, what colors might we see that we don't see now? What sounds might we hear that we can't hear now? You know, the the dog can hear things you can't. Even with 20-20 vision and perfect hearing now, that's nothing compared to what it's going to be like in heaven. Nothing in the present heaven or earth will compare with what we will see, hear, touch, taste, and smell in the age to come. There, everything will be beautiful with God's beauty. These are, I mean, I'm just touching the very surface of just a few little areas of what we're talking about here in the future that God has for us in terms of what beauty will be there. But I do want to make an application to our lives this evening by posing a question. And that question is this. Will we all have the same enjoyment of God in heaven? Or will some have greater views of God's beauty than others? So that's the question. 
think about it a little bit. Will we all have the same enjoyment of God, or will some have greater views of God's beauty than others? Well, I think the latter is true. Some will have greater views of God's beauty than others. And I believe that because the Bible teaches degrees of reward. Matthew wrote in uh, Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then, and then shall render unto every man according to his deeds. And he also taught, Matthew also taught, and Christ taught, that there would be degrees of reward. You think of the parable there of the talents in Matthew 25. Now, I'm not saying that heaven is earned by any human works because salvation, we know, is a free gift of God bestowed without any human merit. But it seems, and here's, I think, the way to understand this, and this is the way, again, Jonathan Edwards presented this, it seems that our capacity to enjoy God in heaven will be shaped by our desire for and our service of God here on earth. I'm going to repeat that. Our capacity to enjoy God in heaven will be shaped by our desire for and service of God here on earth. In other words, some saints, some saints will be given greater rewards because the capacity to receive a greater reward was enlarged by the godly desire, their godly desires here on earth. Uh, simple illustration that won't do justice, but it maybe will help a little bit. It's like the difference between going to the ocean with a cup or with a bucket. If I go with a cup, I can get my whole cup filled, and yet if I go with a bucket, I'm going to get more than I would have gotten if I just went with a cup. In heaven, if you're a Christian and you're in heaven, your cup will be filled to the brim. But the person with a bucket will get more. Well, does that mean then that there'll be some kind of disharmony in heaven? I have a cup, you have a bucket? We know that's impossible because heaven is a place of beauty and beauty is harmony and proportionality and symmetry and balance. It's impossible because in heaven everything is beautiful with the beauty of God. Now here's the answer to that. No one will suffer any lack at all though some will have more than others. In fact, because of God's beauty upon all, it will only give you greater joy to see other saints with greater rewards than you. Think about that. It will only give you joy to see another saint with greater rewards than you. It increases your joy to see that. This can only happen in heaven. You will delight in the delight of others. To have that other person see more of the beauty of God will delight you. Besides that, those with higher views of God will only think more lowly of themselves because the higher in holiness, the greater their humility. 
All of this is part of the restored beauty that Christ is bringing about. So I say, what a beautiful place heaven will be. What a beautiful place God has for his people. But it's not the place. It's God himself. This is the contrast between what David was saying and really the ultimate fulfillment of what David was saying in Psalm 27. Let me read it again. He says, One thing I have desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David wanted to be in the temple to behold the beauty of the Lord. But you see, in the book of Revelation, John said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. It's not the place. It's God himself, the source of beauty, the bestower of beauty, the standard of beauty, the altogether lovely one. I think that I'm sure that we will always be awed and amazed with new discoveries of the beauty of God throughout eternity. And that can go on forever because God's infinite. It's not going to come to an end. It's not going to be uh, come to the place where you say, is there any more? But for us, I think our prayer should be, May God help us in our time here on earth to enlarge our capacity to enjoy His beauty when we're in heaven. Well, there's so many things, so many areas that a person could go into. I mean, I think probably the area, and I'm not going to go into it, but just to stimulate your thought here, probably the area that brings out this and comes out the most in the scriptures is just this thing of the church being the bride of Christ and the beauty that he bestows upon his bride and makes it so that we're without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. In some way, I think heaven is going to be a perpetual never-ending wedding feast, marriage supper, where the bride just gets more beautiful all the time by seeing more of the beauty of Christ. Well, let's, let's pray.